Tonight I have another assignment, glory to God. I hope you brought your Bibles with you because we're going to get into the Word of God. We're going to start a new series today. We finished our series, at least for now, uh, on removing the veil of religion or dealing with the veil of religion, the spirit of religion. And today we're going to deal, hallelujah, with a subject matter that God has dropped in my heart. It's just one word, hallelujah, and it is the word outcasts. Outcasts. It's amazing, hallelujah, whom the people that the world rejects usually end up being the people that God selects. Amen. And I don't know about you, but I'm just so glad that I've been selected by God. Hallelujah. So it doesn't really matter who rejects me. God has accepted me. Amen. Hallelujah. And so we're going to talk about some of these individuals that many would consider outcasts, but God used them in a very powerful way. Amen. And I, and I purposely focused my teachings around uh, individuals that perhaps you haven't even heard too much about uh, so that we can focus in on some of these individuals that God thought it important enough to speak about their lives. Amen. And so I want to start very quickly in the book of Judges, the 10th chapter. Judges number 10. Go to the book of Judges, chapter number 10. And verse number 17, I believe it's verse number 17, hallelujah, that's where we're going to begin. Amen, hallelujah. I read today in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, and the word of the Lord says this so. Then the children of Ammon were gathered together and encamped in Gilead, and the children of Israel assembled themselves together and encamped in Mizpah. And these guys are getting ready to go to war. And the people and princes of Gilead said one to another, What man is he that will begin to fight against the children of Ammon? He shall be head over the inhabitants of Gilead. It said, What man is he? The Amplified Version said, Who's the man? Now, Jephthah, how many of you people are familiar with him? Now Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty man of valor, and he was the son of a harlot. And Gilead begat Jephthah. And Gilead's wife bare him sons, and his wife's sons grew up. Later on, you find out that it was at least 30 kids altogether. And the thrust of Jephthah, and said unto him, and they thrust out Jephthah, and said unto him, thou shalt not inherit in our father's house, for thou art the son of a strange woman. In other words, you are our brother from another mother. And so, we don't even want you to be around. Amen? And they drew him away, and he became an outcast. Then Jephthah fled from his brethren and dwelt in the land of Tob. And there were gathered vain men to Jephthah and went out with him. And it came to pass in process of time that the children of Ammon made war against Israel. And it was so that when the children of Ammon made war against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to fetch who, saints? God is so amazing. The very one that, reject, that, were, that was rejected all of a sudden is recruited. Fetch Jephthah out of the land of Tob. And they said unto Jephthah, Come and be our captain, that we may fight with the children of Ammon. And Jephthah said unto the elders of Gilead, Did not ye hate me? And expel me out of my father's house? And why are you come unto me now when you are in distress? A little hardship will change people's perception about you. And the elders of Gilead said unto Jephthah, Therefore we turn again to thee now, that thou mayest go with us and fight against the children of Ammon, and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. And Jephthah said unto the elders of Gilead, If you bring me home again to fight against the children of Ammon, and the Lord deliver them before me, shall I be your head. And the elders of Gilead said unto Jephthah, The Lord be witness between us, 
if we do not sow according to thy words. And I'm going to stop right there. Show me verse 18 of chapter 10 one more time. Verse 18 of chapter 10. One more time. Hallelujah. Because that's where I'm going to hang my nail today. Hallelujah. And the people and the princes of Gilead said one to another, What man is he? Or who will be the man? Amplified version. Who's the man? And so I decided to call this particular sermon on tonight. The series is called Outcasts. But today's sermon is called Who's the Man? Who's the man? And as a subtitle, reigning over rejection. Reigning over rejection. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, add blessing to your word now. And minister to your people tonight in a very powerful way. And let everybody in the house under the sound of my voice leave this place saying, Surely the presence of the Lord was in that place today. And we give you glory and honor for it now. In Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen. And amen. Hallelujah, Jesus. Anybody in this place ever experienced rejection? Anybody ever been rejected? Let me very quickly, hallelujah, just give you the, the dictionary's definition of the word rejection. It is simply this. Uh, to reject someone means to refuse to grant that person recognition or acceptance. It is to discard an individual. It is to despise an individual. It is to discount as to make them feel worthless. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I like the word discount. You ever go to a department store, you'll find a clearance rack. That clearance rack is made out of clothing, clothing that has been discounted uh, because nobody wanted to invest in it. They put it in a corner and reduce its value. It has been rejected. Have you ever been there? Perhaps you're in this place and you can testify of being rejected of a father. It wasn't that he wasn't in the house, but how many of you know that you could be in the house and still be absent? Uh, he was in the house, but he was too busy to give you the time and the affection that you needed, hallelujah, as a young boy or a young woman. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Could it be uh, that you have experienced rejection from a mother, hallelujah, who perhaps uh, unconsciously just favored your sibling, your brother or your sister more than you because they were either smarter better behaved or prettier, come on somebody, and uh, you felt the brunt of that rejection. Perhaps you were rejected in the area of athletics. Not all of us are gifted in the area of athletics. Perhaps when they started picking teams, you were that person that always was last to get chosen. And you didn't get chosen because somebody wanted you on their team. You got chosen because you were last and they had to pick another person so that the teams would be even. Come on, somebody. Uh, perhaps you felt rejection in that capacity. Perhaps you've experienced rejection because you were made fun of in school because of the clothes you wore. Not, not everybody got it like that. I, I want to submit to you, hallelujah, I have a brother that's older than me, one year older than me. And at the time we were about the same height, hallelujah. And one of the things I hated that my mother would do is that she would dress us like twins. And we were not twins. But she would dress us like twins and we wear the same identical clothes. And if that wasn't enough, hallelujah, there were times in our lives where we didn't have it like that. And we couldn't get name brand stuff, hallelujah. And you don't know rejections of, until you have to wear rejects on your feet. I wish I had somebody in here who has lived a little while and knows what I'm talking about, hallelujah. A reject shoe, hallelujah, is when other people got Nikes, hallelujah, and you have shoes that look like Nikes, but your swoosh is upside down. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Or everybody else got Pumas on and you got the Puma symbol, but your Puma symbol is upside down and your sneakers ain't called Pumas, they're called pro players. Y'all not talking back to me because I'm from New York originally. Y'all don't probably know about no pro players, hallelujah, but I, I had pro players. And uh, you, 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 you don't know rejection, hallelujah, until you've had to wear a pair of shoes that only cost about $3. And everybody else recognizes that you got those on and they even come up with songs for your shoes. I remember being in school, my mom wore, made me wore these shoes. They sang a song to my shoes. 
They said rejects. They call a dollar ninety nine. Rejects. They make your feet feel fine. Rejects. They cost a dollar. They cost a dollar and ninety. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You could be rejected, hallelujah, because of what you had on. You could be rejected by the way you look. Perhaps, hallelujah, you were real skinny. Perhaps you were overweight. Perhaps you had acne. Uh, perhaps you had to wear glasses that look more like bifocals. Come on, somebody, hallelujah. Perhaps it was because you weren't popular. Perhaps you felt the rejection of not going to a prom because nobody ever invited you to the prom. Come on, somebody. Perhaps you wanted to be a member, even in college, perhaps, of some sorority, and they did not accept you, hallelujah. Perhaps you were let go of a job, hallelujah, because you were getting old. And they wanted to give it to somebody younger, pay them much less instead of having to pay you what they were paying you. And you were already old. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Perhaps it was that they gave the promotion to somebody else and you were there longer. You served harder. You were more qualified, but they were cuter. And so they gave the job to that individual. Perhaps you were dating an individual and you were really believing God that this was going to be the one until they bailed out on you right on the last, right at the last minute. Hallelujah. Perhaps, hallelujah, you experienced the rejection of your own children. Because while you worked really hard to support them and to, to, to fend for them and to protect them, hallelujah, and to keep them from harm and do all you can so that they wouldn't go down the wrong road, they still go down that wrong road, hallelujah, and leave you. Somebody shout rejection. Perhaps, hallelujah, a husband. Just got up and walked out midlife, hallelujah, and left you all alone. Rejection. Rejection is painful. I said it's painful, hallelujah. No matter what the cause. You know what usually happens uh, more often than not is that we don't give a lot of blame to the rejector. And we just simply agree with the rejection. That they have placed over our lives and we begin to walk with an inferiority complex or not. We just walk around as though we just uh, accept that we are damaged goods for the rest of our lives. But I came to tell somebody in this place today, the devil is a liar. And so if you can be so kind, just put my first point up on the screen very quickly. I'm hoping to get to my text. Rejection is not a measure of true worth. I said rejection is not a measure of true worth. So does somebody else's rejection really affect my basic worth? And should I allow other people to label me and believe what they say? Are you hearing what I'm saying? And believe it for the rest of my life. Here's a question for you. What if they are wrong? If they are wrong, you have been believing a lie. How many of you are familiar? Let me see if I can get, give you a little backdrop on this text. How many of you are familiar with that old adage that says history often repeats itself? Uh, I believe it was even Solomon himself who said it. So that you know that it is biblical, history will often repeat itself. And if you like to study, if we're studying the book of Judges, we're in the, in the 10th chapter and into the 11th chapter, hallelujah. But if you read from chapter 1, what you're going to see is you're going to find the people of God in a horrible cycle. In a horrible cycle where all of a sudden they will experience uh, peace and, and, and rest the peace of a nation, hallelujah, the blessing of the Lord for a little while. And then after a while, they would turn from the Lord as though they forgot where their peace and their blessing came from originally. Fall into apostasy where they turn from God and start worshiping the gods that are surrounding them in that particular area. And so what God would do is that God would not leave them, but God would remove his hand of protection and blessing from upon them and they would experience the consequence of their bad decision. And usually that would mean that another nation would come and begin to oppress them. And as that other nation would oppress them, they would call on the Lord again and then God would come and deliver them, hallelujah, only to go through the cycle again and again and again. And we're in chapter 10 and if you do the math, that cycle has repeated itself 
five times from chapter 1 to chapter 10. The same cycle. Hallelujah. The apostasy in Israel was bad. Years earlier, years earlier, when they entered into the promised land through the leadership of Joshua, God told them, exterminate all the other nations around you. But they failed to complete God's assignment to totality. And now, hallelujah, these sinful influences that they are experiencing are getting the best of them because they did not eliminate then what God told them to eliminate and now it has returned to dominate them when you don't kill what God told you to kill then it will come back and try to kill you when you don't eliminate or get rid of something God empowered you at a time to get rid of it will come back hallelujah to attempt to dominate you when you are weak are you hearing what I'm saying church if you're blessed in here shout glory and watch this, hallelujah. So the cycle got to the point where even God had enough. And if you read chapter number 10, read it on your own time, hallelujah. We get to the place where God says these words. And to me, they are the most sobering words in all of the Bible. God told them, hallelujah, because of your continual, watch this, rejection of me, you have now become the rejected. In other words, I will save you no more. Is that sobering or what? To hear a Savior say, I will save you no more. Now, I don't know about you, but that would really affect me. <laughs> because I need him to rescue me. <laughs> Continuously. Amen, somebody. I will save you no more. The Bible puts it in another place like this. The Spirit of God will not strive with man Always, always, hallelujah. Even God's grace has an expiration date on it. Oh, y'all don't like that right there. I ain't getting that one amen. I know you don't like it, but let me give you some Bible on that. When you study the life of Noah, you see God's grace illustrated. Because Noah builds a boat to make a long story short, hallelujah, the floods are coming. You know the story. And here is the invitation. The door of the boat is open. And the invitation, watch this, this is what the Bible says about the people in that day. Every man's heart was desperately wicked. Not just wicked, desperately wicked. And yet the invitation comes from the ark, come in the ark. Is that not the grace of God? It didn't say come in the ark as long as you are behaving correctly. It did not say come to the ark as long as you are at level number five. If you're five or under, you can't come in the ark. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You come into the ark if you're on a certain spirituality level. No, that's not what it said. It said come as you are into the ark. Even with your wicked heart, just come into the ark. But they didn't want to come into the ark. That ark represented Jesus Christ. In that ark, you will be safe. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so watch this. What ends up happening is that God says, now. And the waters start coming. And God himself closes the door to that ark. And the funny thing is that once the door is closed and the water starts falling, everybody goes to the ark. But it's too late. We are living right now. What Noah illustrated. It is called by most scholars the dispensation of grace. And I want to submit to you that that dispensation has an expiration date. And there's going to come a day where that door will close. And people will look for God. But he won't be found. So hear the invitation. If you're watching me, hallelujah, by social media, hear the, over the invitation. Come as you are to Jesus. Now. Are you blessed in here, church? Hallelujah. Watch this. I will no longer save you. And in their miserable, shattered, and crushed state, watch this. The Bible says in chapter 10, somewhere around verse 10, that they cried unto the Lord and they said these words, We have sinned against you, forsaking our God and serving the God of Baal. And you know what God told them? God said, listen, I will no longer save you. Go and cry out to your gods that you have chosen and let them save you. When you are in trouble. 
sounds like a jealous God, right? Hallelujah. Y'all ain't calling on me all this time. You want to call on me now. Call on all those other gods you've been calling and see if they help you, hallelujah, in the time of trouble. Call on everything that you put before me and made more important than me in your life and see if that thing helps you when you're in trouble. Don't call me no more. Could you imagine that? The God who always wants you to call him. These people must have really did something. Watch this. Really what happened was that the Lord realized that their cries were manipulative. They were manipulative. They just figured that God would immediately act simply because they called on him. And because they had called on him before and he reacted in their favor, hallelujah, they just assumed that he was going to keep doing that. But God doesn't want to keep you in a cycle. He wants to deliver you from your cycle. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. They weren't crying to him because they were genuinely sorry. They were crying to him because the pain was intolerable. They weren't crying to him because they wanted to return to him, to worship him. They were crying to him so that he could free, he could free them from the pressure that they were experiencing from their enemies, hallelujah, from their misery, from their hardship, and the oppression that was coming by way of the enemy. In other words, to them, God existed for convenience. So let me ask you a question. Why does he exist for you? It's quiet in the house of the Lord. I thought y'all missed me. Hallelujah. And so watch this. God being the God that he is, he did not reduce himself, hallelujah, to become an emergency insurance policy for these people, hallelujah, because he wanted to let them know that you cannot manipulate me for convenience. You cannot manipulate me for convenience. I won't respond to you favorably if all you do is call on me, hallelujah, when you need me to do something for you and that only. When it satisfies, hallelujah, only you and your ego and what you want, hallelujah, I will not respond. Amen, somebody. But when you read the chapter, hallelujah, and you get into it, you find somewhere around verse 15 and 16 of the 10th chapter of Judges, hallelujah, that all of a sudden uh, something else was taking place in these people's hearts because they backed up their confession with some action. Oh, sometimes the best thing you can do is back up your confession, your confession with some action. And the Bible says not only did they call on the Lord, but all of a sudden they started, get rid of, they started getting rid of all their forced gods. So they started knocking down all the idols, hallelujah, and all of the false gods, hallelujah. And the Bible says this. Watch this, hallelujah, because I thought this was powerful. And the Bible goes on to say that God could not bear Israel's misery anymore. How gracious, God help me in here. How gracious is our God? The God that just told them, I'm not going to save you anymore. That's enough. Stop calling me. I know you're just trying to use me for convenience. You don't really mean you're sorry. If you were really sorry, you would be sorry enough never to do it again. That's real repentance. Repentance means you change your mind about it. Amen, somebody. And so they said, no, 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 we, we really mean it this time and we're going to show you. And so they started changing their ways. And when they started changing their ways, the God who said, I'm not going to save you no more, couldn't even stand to see them in their misery anymore. Isn't that powerful? Hallelujah, Jesus. How many of you in this place ever been to a party? Watch out now. You've been to a party, you know, birthday party. Um, and, and, and maybe before Christ, you were at one of those parties. You know what I'm talking about, one of those um, anything goes parties. Can I submit to you that God throws parties? The Bible refers to them as feasts, hallelujah, but your God throws parties. And the greatest party ever in the history of civilization hasn't even occurred yet. And when it does occur, it's going to be out of this world. No, and I mean literally. It's not going to take place on the earth. It's literally going to be out of this world. It's going to take place in heaven. And it's called 
the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that is going to be the party of the ages. Amen. Now, it's going to feel, the length of the party is equivalent to seven years on the earth. You want to talk about a party? I didn't say seven hours. I said seven years. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And watch this, hallelujah, because the world thinks they could throw parties. And the world, let me, let me, let me give you an idea of what a, world, a, world, a worldly party looks like. When the world throws a party, they invite beautiful people. At least what they define as beautiful people. Uh, they invite people that are well-known. They invite people that are popular. They invite people that are rich. Are you hearing what I'm saying? These people go ahead and they hire and rent out whole nightclubs because they can. Amen. And then they hire their own personal security. And part of the job description of that security team is to keep ordinary people out. Anybody who's not from the in crowd cannot pass the rope line. And so if you're not part of the in crowd, you can't come to this kind of party. You got paparazzi all over the place taking pictures so they can sell them to a magazine. Everybody's talking about who's the best dress. Come on, somebody. Who they walked in with because that matters too. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Uh, but when your God throws a party, uh, he doesn't throw parties like the world throws parties. The thing I love about God is that he's gracious enough even to invite those people. Y'all not saying nothing, hallelujah. He even invites those people, hallelujah. And if I had time, I would take you to the book of Luke. You read it when you have a chance somewhere beginning at around verse 14. You're going to hear a, a parable, hallelujah, about a great supper where God invited those kind of people, hallelujah. But those kind of people were too busy to come to God's party, hallelujah. And all of them with one consent begin to make excuses about the party and why they couldn't come to the party, hallelujah. So after hearing enough excuses, God said, that's fine. Y'all don't want to come to the party. Y'all don't have to come to the party. Go out now, hallelujah, and invite the poor. And get the poor and tell them to come to my party. Get the crippled. Get the blind. Get the lame, hallelujah, and invite them to the party. And his servants went out and they did that. When they came back, they said, the house is still not full. We still got some seats. And God said, we can't start the party until the house is full. Because God wants his house full. And so watch this. He said, go back out to the highways and the byways and get whoever will. Get me the overlooked. Get me the discounted. Get me the despised. Get me all the outcasts you can find and invite them into my party. And they did so, hallelujah. And the house was full and God said, all things are now ready. And all those people that did not come to, to the party will never come. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So God's party is a little different, hallelujah, than the world's party. And I love the way God throws a party because when God throws a party, the people in the party, hallelujah, will be people that are not struggling with pride. In other words, God does it that way because he gets rid of human pride that way. Are you hearing what I'm saying in this place? In other words, another reason that God throws a party like this is that nobody in his party can boast. Are you hearing what I'm saying, church, hallelujah? And finally, he throws the party like this, hallelujah, so that everybody would understand that they were all the same in the party. Amen, somebody. In other words, no flesh can glory in God's party. Amen, church, hallelujah. This is why the Bible says, hallelujah, that I didn't, I didn't choose the, the wise things or the best things of this world, but I chose the foolish things of this world to confine the wise. And things despised, hallelujah, I chose to confine the wise so that no flesh would glory in my presence. In other words, I'm in the business of using the overlooked because I get more glory when I use them in a powerful way. And they won't boast in themselves, but they'll be sure to always give me the glory for what I do in their lives. Are you blessed in this place so far? <laughs> Hallelujah. God sees differently, church. We look at the outward, God looks at the inward. We value popularity, God values character. Come on, somebody. We look at intelligence, God looks at the heart. We honor those with money, God honors those with integrity. We talk about what we own, God talks about what we give. Y'all not saying nothing in here, hallelujah. We boast about whom we know, God notices whom we serve. Come on, somebody. We value education, 
God values wisdom. We live for fame. God searches for humility. Our view is shallow. God's view is deep. Our view is temporary. God's view is eternal. He sees differently than the world sees. Are you in this place? Hallelujah. He uses and chooses people, hallelujah, that most people wouldn't pick. But that's how he rolls. And I love it because I'm one in the number. Consider the roll call of God's imperfect heroes throughout your Bible. Let me just read you some that I wrote down today. The Bible says concerning Noah, hallelujah, that Noah got drunk. Abraham, hallelujah, lied about his wife. Jacob, hallelujah, was a trickster and a deceiver. Moses was a murderer. Rahab was a harlot. Samson had issues with lust and anger. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Come on, somebody. Paul was religious and persecuted the church. And Peter denied Jesus. And the list goes on. But these names that I just named are some of the greatest men in your Bible. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Hallelujah. In other words, they are outcasts. And God used them in a mighty and in a powerful way. If you're in this place, shout glory. glory. We just read a moment ago, hallelujah, in verse 18 of the 10th chapter of Judges, that the people said, who is the man that's going to lead us to fight against the people of Ammon? Hallelujah. And the scriptures, hallelujah, go on to talk about a man named Jephthah. Jephthah, how many of you are familiar with him? I don't have time for it, hallelujah, but if I took you to Hebrews chapter 11. How many of you familiar with Hebrews chapter 11? It is referred to God's hall of faith. Uh, can I just submit to you that if you go somewhere down to verses 32, you're going to find Jephthah in Hebrews 11. Just in case you didn't know, Hebrews 11 only mentions 16 names. Out of all the great men of faith in the Bible... Hebrews 11 only mentions 16 names, and one of those names is Jephthah. Are you hearing what I'm saying in this place? Can I talk to you about him for a little while? Before I do, throw my second point up there very quickly. People will try to lock you out of your destiny because they are aware of your history. People will try to lock you out of your destiny because they are aware, heard about, know a little something about your history. It's like when you go to a job, hallelujah, and your resume lets, uh, hallelujah, the employer know that you have all the qualifications and you meet all the requirements and you have the skill set that they are looking for in that particular job, hallelujah, but then they run something called a background check. <laughs> and when they run that background check, hallelujah, they find out something about you, hallelujah, that prohibits you from getting that particular Job. Anybody in here know what I'm talking about? The Bible says in chapter 11 that Jephthah was a valiant warrior, hallelujah, but he was not considered for the job of leading Israel because of his background. Now, the thing you got to catch is that the Bible doesn't say that he did anything wrong, hallelujah, but the Bible does mention a little something about his mama and his daddy. Because watch this, hallelujah, the Bible says about his mom that she was a harlot. And uh, that his father had a wife. And had, if I'm not mistaken, at least 29 other children from his wife. But had Jephthah, out of some fling thing. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so the Bible says, hallelujah, watch this. It allows us to know that even though he had no choice in choosing who his mother was, he was treated as a reject. His stepmom and his half-brothers mistreated him. And if you read 11, like we did a little while ago in verse number 2, it said this. This is his brothers talking to him, his half-brothers. You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. And the Bible says they drove him away. Somebody shout rejection. And he was rejected. Not just out of the house, but out of his whole entire homeland. Can you imagine this child, because he was young at the time, growing up with that kind of rejection? You know, if anything, it is your parents, at least your 
parents and your siblings that are supposed to stand there with you, hallelujah, when everybody else is rejecting you. Come on, somebody, hallelujah. But when you are rejected by your own family, that is not an easy thing. I wish I had a church in here, hallelujah. They made him feel pretty worthless. How many of you in this place have ever been rejected? Come on, I've been there, hallelujah. Rejected. Rejection can be a hard experience for anyone. Amen, somebody. Mm. And listen, just, be, just because you happen to be somewhat successful doesn't mean you're not rejected. I found out, hallelujah, I did a little research and I found out about some people who are successful today that testified about being rejected. And these are individuals, hallelujah, that don't necessarily serve the Lord, but it'll speak to you. Harrison Ford, how many of you are familiar with the term or the name Harrison Ford? Hallelujah, came out in a lot of movies like Star Wars, Indiana Jones, right? Uh, this was said about him, hallelujah, that he didn't know, hallelujah, how to act. And didn't have the look to be a star. And he was rejected. Amen, somebody. Walt Disney. Walt Disney was told, you lack imagination. Walt Disney. Disney World. You lack imagination and your ideas ain't that good. That's what they told Walt Disney. Winston Churchill tried out for office repeatedly and was defeated repeatedly. And didn't become, watch this, hallelujah, the prime minister of England until the age of 62. Right before World War II, Oprah Winfrey, Oprah Winfrey was fired from a job as a TV reporter and was told she was unfit for TV. Hallelujah. The Beatles were told they were not talented and could not sing. That's what they were told. Here's my favorite, Clint Eastwood. And Burt Reynolds, you got to be a little old school now. You're too young, you don't know what I'm talking about. Clint Eastwood and Burt Reynolds, hallelujah, got fired on the same day at the same time from Universal Studios. Yep, and Burt Reynolds was told, you can't act. And Clint Eastwood was told, you walk too slow. And your Adam's apple is too big. And Burt Reynolds testifies that they left quietly and were walking to their cars and didn't say nothing to each other until they got to one of the vehicles. And Burt Reynolds looks at Clint Eastwood, and I quote, and he tells him, you in trouble, Clint, because I can go get me some acting lessons, but you can't get you another Adam's apple. <laughs> but what I'm trying to get at, hallelujah, is that these are people who were rejected. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Are you blessed in this place? How many of you in here can testify that rejection is not fun? How many can testify that rejection hurts and it is painful? It is an insult to who we are and personally, I don't like it. Oh, do I have some real people in the house? Who likes it? Who says, I like to be rejected? Nobody says that. Watch this. I'm sure that the hero in our story, Jephthah, knows what it is to feel the brunt of having to experience some heavy rejection from all of his family. When you read the story, the story you find out, or we can at least say that his father probably held a prominent place in society, but not his mama. And when his father died, they cut him out of the will. And they said, get out of here. We don't want you around because you are the child of another woman. And in one single day, he lost everything. He lost his home, he lost his family, and never did get much respect. How many of you in this place know that different people act to, react to rejection different ways? Different people react to rejection different ways, hallelujah. All of us in some way or another are going to experience rejection, and we might not be able to do anything about that, but we do have control over how we respond to rejection when it comes, and that's what will differentiate who's who. Are you hearing what I'm saying in this place? Hallelujah. Some people, when they experience rejection, they just roll up like a little ball in the corner, hallelujah, and hide. 
They just hide. They just receive what somebody else said as true, and they ball up, hallelujah, in fear and timidity, and they just hide. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And then there are other people who don't know how to cope, hallelujah, so they go to other things like drugs and alcohol and begin to live uh, promiscuously, loose lives, hallelujah, because of what people said and how people labeled them, hallelujah. You're hearing what I'm saying? But then you got some people like some of the ones that I named here, hallelujah, who pretty much just take the hits and keep on moving, amen, and, and do something with their lives, at least their temporary lives here on the earth. But then there's people like Jephthah. Who after experiencing, hallelujah, rejection, turned to the Lord for comfort. Understanding, hallelujah, that doing that leads to uh, eternal ramifications. Are you in this place? Hallelujah. Watch this. I want to submit to you. Put my next point up there very quickly. Just because you've experienced rejection does not mean you have to receive it. Just because you experienced rejection does not mean you have to receive it. There is a difference between experiencing rejection and receiving rejection. Where are my men at? When we went to the mountain, hallelujah, we learned a thing or two about rejection. Are my men here, hallelujah? And there were some things, hallelujah, that a man of God spoke into our lives that were so powerful, hallelujah. I remember when God put this subject in my, in my heart, I went back to my notes from when we were on the mountain just to see what I wrote down about rejection, hallelujah. And while the man of God was talking so fast, you couldn't keep up with him, hallelujah. I did gather some things that I thought were important and I wanted to share with you today and reiterate, hallelujah. I believe it's going to bless you. I can't take credit for it, but I believe it's going to bless you. Are you ready, hallelujah? Watch this. You can and you will experience rejection, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to receive it. On one occasion, hallelujah, uh, before I get into that, on one occasion, uh, Samuel the prophet felt some kind of way because the people of God began to ask God for a king. And at that time, Samuel was it. He wasn't necessarily a king, but he was the prophet that God was using to lead the people. Uh, he was their mediator. Are you with me so far? And so watch this. They started asking for a king because everybody else had kings. And so Samuel started feeling some kind of way to the point where he started grieving. And God had to come to him to minister to him so that he don't make the mistake to receive their rejection while he was experiencing it. And God ministered to him and told him, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. And if God doesn't say that to him, he would make the mistake to receive that rejection. But here's what I found out. Hallelujah. If you receive rejection, you cannot reign. If you receive, you can experience rejection and still reign. If David were here, he'll tell you, I was rejected by my father. I was rejected by my brothers. But because I didn't receive it while I was experiencing it, I still became king. And I still reigned. Hallelujah. If you receive rejection, you can't reign. I believe that's my next point, hallelujah, if I'm not mistaken. You can't reign if you receive rejection. And so you have to be careful not to receive rejection. Somebody shout amen in here. How many of you in this place know that when you have been rejected, you give rejection? <laughs> rejected people reject other people. Not only that, hallelujah, we multiply what we receive. I said we multiply what we receive. You, you, you give a woman a seed and she'll give you back a baby. Are you hearing what I'm saying? You give it to her small, she gives it back to you big. Because we multiply what we receive. If you have been rejected in any kind of way, you will project rejection in a greater way. Are you in this place, church? Somebody shout rejected. Hallelujah, Jesus. Watch this. How many of you know somebody who is angry? Don't turn around and look at your spouse now. That would not be a good idea. But how many of you know somebody who's angry all the time? Or at least know somebody, hallelujah, who at the drop of a dime can go, hallelujah, from Dr. Jekyll to Mr. Hyde. I mean to the point, hallelujah, where you don't know who you're coming home to. 
I've had people, hallelujah, who have counsel told me, man, pastor, you don't understand. I need faith to come home. That's serious. You know, while you need faith, hallelujah, to fight off all these demons that are trying to block you and stop you from reaching your destiny, you don't need, hallelujah, to have to conjure up faith just to come home. Home is my safe place. Home is my sanctuary. That is my resting place. Come on, somebody. But can I submit to you that the root of rage is rejection. Show me a person that's angry all the time and I'll show you somebody who's been rejected. Are you in this place? Pride. How many of you know people who are prideful? You want to know what the root of pride is? Rejection. You know what prideful people do? Is that they arm themselves with self-reliance. And convince themselves that they don't need nobody. But all that armor that they have purchased, they got it on account of rejection. And so they got rejected to the point where they build up all this armor of self-reliance and, and convince themselves to say, I don't need nobody. I don't need nobody. I don't need nobody. But it's because of somebody that you're acting the way you are. Are you in this place, church? Hallelujah, Jesus. Watch this. When you receive rejection, many people become promiscuous. Oh, boy. Begin to live loose. Even dress loose. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about rejection. Because watch this. You don't believe anymore that somebody is going to want you for you. So you got to give them your body. You got you to gotta practically sell it to them. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because you don't even believe yourself that they're going to want you just because of who you are. It's quiet in here. I got five minutes. Somebody shout, you could do it. Hallelujah. Can I give you another one that you're probably not aware of? If you are a perfectionist. Now, now, let me just say this real quick. There's a difference between perfectionist and excellence. There is a difference. When I say perfectionist, I'm talking about crazy panic mode perfection. Where if it's not perfect, you're like, oh my God, it's got to be right. It's got to be right. It's got to be right. Perfection. You know what the root of that is? Rejection. Because at some point, somebody didn't give you mercy for your mistakes. And so you, now you feel like if it's not perfect, there's no mercy. Are you in this place, church? If you're blessed in here, shout glory. Can I give you one more? Oh, boy, I might as well. Hallelujah. People who always see clicks are rejected people. It is quiet in here. I don't like that church. There's a lot of clicks in that church. You know what you're really saying? What you're really saying is I don't have my people. Watch this. I don't have my own people. And it's really stemming from rejection. You feel rejected. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Can I submit to you that everybody in here cannot hang out with everybody in here? Can I submit to you, hallelujah, that as much as I love you, hallelujah, I can't hang out with everybody the same? It's and as the church grows, that becomes even more and more impossible. Just because people become communal and start gathering together and exclude you does not mean they rejected you. It does not mean they rejected you. People will always have a tendency to gravitate towards some people. You don't hear what I'm saying. They just, they just, they just kick it with that person and they, and, they, and they find something in common, hallelujah, and they feel comfortable around that person, so they, they gather around that person, hallelujah, and you don't have to feel some kind of way. Let me tell you, people who are secure never see clicks. I said people who are secure never see clicks. But people who are insecure and have experienced rejection will always be like, hmm, there they go again. 
Look at them going into the diner. I know where they're going. They're going into that diner. I don't know why they didn't invite me to the diner. We, listen, we create relationships in our mind with people, and then we get mad when they don't act out, hallelujah, how you saw it in your mind. You tripping. Let's begin with, hi, hello, I don't even know you, never hung out with you before. Why are you tripping? I'm trying to help you. Hallelujah. Let me get back to this text. God will use outcasts. Can I help you? Can I give you some more of them? Moses stuttered. David's armor that Saul gave him was too big because he was too young. Jacob was a liar. Solomon was too rich. Uh-oh. Abraham was too old. Naomi was a widow. Martha was a worry wart. Jonah ran from God. Gideon was scared. Thomas doubted. Jeremiah was depressed. Elijah was burnt out. And Lazarus was dead. It didn't stop God. I said it didn't stop God. Hallelujah, Jesus. Are you blessed in here, church? God have mercy in this place. Hallelujah. What I love about this man, Jephthah, was that in the midst of rejection, he rose to a position of power and leadership. Because while he experienced rejection, he did not receive it. And as long as he didn't receive it, he could reign. And he reigned, hallelujah, over the people of Israel. Are you blessed in this church? He went from excluded to embraced. He went from excluded to elevated. He went from rejected to recruited. He went from rejected to rewarded. He went from bypassed to being promoted. Y'all not listening to me. He went from despised to being dependable. He went from being vetoed to becoming victorious. Are you hearing what I'm saying in this place? All because he would not receive. The rejection, though he had to experience it. Is this helping somebody in this place? And so, my time is up. Let me give you this very quickly. Hallelujah. Put my next point up there. I'm going to run through them real quick, saints. Your breakthrough begins with you. I mean, that's simple, hallelujah, but it's deeper than you think. Your, your, people are asking God for a breakthrough all the time. Let me help you. Here's what the Lord is saying to you. Your breakthrough begins with you. Do you know what Jephthah means? His name means breakthrough. And, and if Jephthah could testify here today, he wants you to know that your breakthrough begins with you. And here's what he wants you to know. Give me that sub point real quickly. Hallelujah. The next one. Release the old baggage caused by the rejection. Release the old baggage caused by the rejection. If Jephthah were here, he'll tell you I had to throw it out. I had to let it go. I could not, if I wanted to reign, I could not hold on to the baggage caused by the rejection that my family gave me. If I would have held it, I would not come back. If I would have held it, hallelujah, when they needed help, I would not have helped them. You don't hear what I'm saying, hallelujah. I would have told them, y'all on your own. Y'all going to treat me like that? Hate on me like that? Forget y'all. You know how some of us do? Y'all ain't saying nothing. Hallelujah. But that's not what he did. Why? Because he wasn't holding on to it. If he would have held on to it, he would have acted wrong. Come on, somebody. And then he wouldn't have reigned. If David would have reacted incorrectly to the rejection he got from his brother and his father, he would have never reigned. When King Saul rejected him, if he would have took that personal, he would have never reigned. Are you in this place, church? I feel like God wants to let somebody in this place know that I'm about to raise you up. I'm about to raise you up, hallelujah. But you got to get rid of the old baggage, hallelujah. You got to refuse to hang on to it, okay? You got to choose to be free from it. Amen, somebody. 
The baggage from the past will keep you from flowing, hallelujah, in a fresh anointing. The Bible says because he let it go, watch this, that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. You want a fresh anointing to come on you, hallelujah, you got to let it go. You, there's always going to be people, experiences, come on, lessons in life that are going to come, hallelujah. They're going to be painful. I wish I had some real people. They're going to be difficult, hallelujah, and they're going to be hard to process. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. They're going to be hard. Hallelujah. Watch this. And they're going to result in certain feelings. They're going to result, watch this, in certain patterns and conflicts that are going to develop. Hallelujah. Out of those things. But there are things that have been developed because of things that happened in previous times. And if you're not careful, they will hinder the present and then the future. They'll hinder your present relationship because you're making people pay now for what somebody else did to you then. You're not saying nothing. Hallelujah. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because you're not able to let it go. You have things, feelings in you, hallelujah, that are not finished. And because they're not finished, they're going to hinder your present and they're going to hinder your future. And they happened in the past. Are you in this place? Hallelujah. If you don't finish those things, hallelujah, that happened to you way back then, they're going to create issues in your heart. And that's why the Bible says, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. Are you hearing what I'm saying, church? If you're blessed in here, shout glory. Put my second sub-point up there. Overcoming rejection changes people's perception. The Bible says, hallelujah, because this man is able to let it go. And not hold on to it. All of a sudden with trouble came. Here's the thing about this point right here. It usually happens when hardship shows up. Trouble came. When trouble wasn't present, they weren't going to him for anything. But all of a sudden, the children of Ammon rose up, hallelujah, against Gideon. I mean Gilead, I'm sorry. And they went to the man they rejected for help. And all of a sudden, Jephthah the rejecter becomes Jephthah the judge. Isn't that like God? To cause the people who once rejected you to later call on you for help. And I'm telling you it's going to happen. And I'm telling you it's going to happen because God is testing you. Because somebody in here under the sound of my voice is getting ready to go to another level. And God sent me in this place today to warn you, hallelujah, that when he brings those people back to ask you for help, hallelujah, you can't be holding on to the baggage. Because if you're still holding on to it, you can't elevate and you can't reign. But hallelujah, if you let it go, God will change their perception about you. And all of a sudden, hallelujah, you go from a misfit, the son of another woman, to a mighty warrior. <laughs> ah, Jesus. Listen, all of a sudden, they can see that he's a valiant warrior. All of a sudden, they see that he took a bunch of, the Bible says, vain men, worthless men, like David, and made a tremendous army out of them. And they saw his leadership skill. And they said, we need you. We told you to leave before, but now we're telling you we need you. Most of us would have been like, you on your own. Treat me like that, but God is testing you to see if you're ready to reign. Are you blessed in here, church? Let me give you the last sub point and we're leaving, I promise. Taking your faith seriously will get God's attention. Taking your faith seriously will get God's attention. Oh, God. The Bible says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. I ain't got time to get into it. But if, if you read the rest of chapter 11, you'll see a man who knows his Bible, who knows a little history. Hallelujah. Because he goes to the enemy and rather than just right away go to, go to war, hallelujah, he tries to, to find a solution for the problem by asking the enemy, why are you even wanting to fight with us in the first place? And the enemy tells him, you took our land. And so he explains the history of the Bible to them with pinpoint accuracy. 
and lets them know, hallelujah, we didn't take your land. We wanted to pass through your land, and you didn't want to let us pass through. So you know what God did? He gave it to us. And so watch this. We didn't take it. God gave it to us. It's crown land, which means it's all God's. It belongs to the king. And if it belongs to the king, he could do with it whatever he wants. And it don't matter if you got here first. If God said it's mine, it's mine. And if your God is so powerful, why ain't your God give it to you? Hallelujah. Because whatever my God says is mine, is mine, he said. This is what he told the enemy. Hallelujah. And I kind of didn't want to end the story like this, but I got to because this is the way the story ends. And scholars even struggle with this portion of the text because the Bible says that Jephthah made a vow. In his, I don't know if it was his excitement or his faith, hallelujah, he makes a vow. And this is what he tells God, and I'm closing, saints. He tells God, God, if you give me the victory today, when I return from the battle, whatever comes out of my house first, I will take it and offer it to you as a sacrifice. And to make a long story short, God gives him the victory. He comes home from the battle only to have his only daughter come out of the house as he's getting home. And the Bible says that he tore his clothes and he wept. Now most scholars will say that that was not what he was expecting. Most scholars will agree in those days they leave their doors open, hallelujah, and even the animals will come in and out of the house. And so that when he said that, he was probably thinking that some animal was going to come out of the house and that he would offer that animal unto God and it wasn't going to be a problem. Can I submit something to you? Never take a vow loosely. Ain't nobody say amen, hallelujah. You know you take some when you get married. Understand that your God is a vow-keeping God. In the, in the New Testament, hallelujah, vow is only mentioned once by the apostle Paul. In the Old Testament, it's mentioned all over the place. Can I just tell you something that the Bible says about vows? Listen to this very carefully. Deuteronomy 23 and 21, I'm reading real quick. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not be slow to pay it. For the Lord your God will certainly demand it of you, or you will be guilty of sin. Ecclesiastes says this, it is better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And do not protest to the temple messenger, my vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Listen to how serious a vow is. Deuteronomy 12, 28 through 31. Be careful to obey all the regulations I am giving you so that it may always go well with you and your children after you. Because you will be doing what is good and what is right in the eyes of the Lord your God. The Lord your God will cut off before you the nations you are about to invade and dispossess them. But when you have driven them out and settled into the land and after you have been destroyed, after they have been destroyed before you, be careful not to be ensnared by inquiring about their gods. Saying, how do these nations serve their gods? We will do the same. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way. Because in worshiping their gods, they do all kinds of detestable things the Lord hates. And chief among those detestable things is this. They even burn their sons and daughters in the fire as sacrifices to their gods. And so, Jephthah being the man of faith that he was was living in a land, hallelujah, where the people of God were worshiping at least seven other gods. And the people of Gilead, the people of God, the Israelites were doing it also. And I don't know if Jephthah got caught up in those practices. The Bible claims that he was a man of faith. I don't know if he ever read Deuteronomy where it says God didn't like human sacrifice. Or the fact that he was not expecting his daughter to come through the door. But maybe some animal which would have been acceptable unto God. But his daughter came out. 
And some scholars like to argue the fact that maybe he didn't kill her. But when I read the text, it's pretty clear to me that he gave her some time. But when she got back, he did with her, the Bible says, as he vowed, which is pretty clear to me. Because he took his faith that serious. That as a leader, if he said a thing, he had to follow through on what he said, regardless of the cost and the price. And I believe it is because he made the vow and then was willing to fulfill the vow that he got God's attention. Not necessarily because it was something he was supposed to do, but because he was willing to follow through on what he said. So my encouragement to you is don't be quick to make one. <laughs> don't be, because we do it all. Y'all not going to say nothing. I know we got to go. Y'all not going to say nothing. But God, if you get me out of this, I will. You get me out of this financial situation, God, I'll pay my tithe. God, you help me with this situation right here and I'll come to church faithfully all the time. And what you have to understand about him is that he'll come. He'll come for it. Ecclesiastes said it's better not to make it than to make it and then not follow through. God is the kind of God that when he makes a promise, he always follows through. If we're going to be anything like him, hallelujah, we have to follow through on whatever we say. Amen? Not a great ending, huh? But when you read Hebrews chapter 11, and you see the 16 names mentioned in Hebrews Hall of Faith, Jephthah, breakthrough. With all the rejection he experienced, him, he experienced, he was supposed to break down. But his name meant breakthrough. Are you blessed in here, church? Come on, somebody give God a real good praise.